It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Thursday episode of Locked On Raptors, when the preseason's good, it's really freaking good, baby. We are going to dig into the Toronto Raptors' thrilling 125-119 comeback win over the Boston Celtics at the TD Garden. Lots of interesting implications for the rotation. We'll dig into my big takeaways. We'll also talk about the offense, which had some pretty rough moments with the starters and some key rotation pieces that we know are going to be part of the team. Plus... The good, the bad, and the hmm makes its return. It wasn't canceled after one time through. What a success. It's all coming up on today's episode of Lockdown Raptors. Thanks for being here. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1256 of Lockdown Raptors for Thursday, October the 6th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of Post Touches, the Toronto Raptors blog. You can find it on Substack. My first post will be forthcoming tomorrow into your inboxes, so go subscribe. It's free if you want. You can also pay some money if you'd like to do that as well. But either way, Post Touches, go to my uh, pinned tweet on Twitter and you can go and subscribe there. You can also follow, subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast for free on all your podcast apps. You can also go to YouTube and hit the big red subscribe button to support the video version of the show. Either way, it's all appreciated. However it is, you support Locked On Raptors, and I love all of you very much for doing it. All right, on today's show, which is obviously your first listen of the day, we are digging into the Toronto Raptors. 125-119 win over the Boston Celtics down at TD Garden. A massive fourth quarter and overtime brings the Raptors back from down a whole lot of points. I think they were stuck 19 at one point, stuck 16, whatever it was. They were down by a lot, and they ended up coming back to win, and it was... As fun a preseason game as I can recall, honestly, when a preseason game is good, which doesn't happen often, it's maybe once every five years you get one that actually sticks out and is entertaining and fun all the way through, Uh, when that happens, it's sometimes more memorable than a good regular season game, I find. I think we're going to be talking about this very silly, meaningless preseason game against the Celtics for at least a little while, because it was a blast, and there were a lot of... I think important developments in it as well, which again, doesn't often happen in a preseason game, but to dive into my big takeaway from the game, I do think the fourth quarter of this game where it was bench heavy, it was deep rotation guy heavy, it was job battle heavy, I think it actually maybe did tell us some things about what we're going to see with the final iteration of the roster, and look, man, th- there's there's hot competition, which I did not expect. I came into this preseason thinking Delano Banton, Justin Champagny, they're getting the last two spots. It's pretty easy. It's rote. We know what's going to happen. I expected Juancho Hernan Gomez with the guaranteed contract to be on the team as well, but 
Wancho hasn't played super well, hasn't really made an impact on any games. Delano, I think, has made himself so obviously a part of the team that it's not even a question anymore. And then you've got Justin Champagny, who hasn't played in the first two preseason games with an injury, and that has caused, I think, a bit of a stir in the job battle conversation. And so we're going to dive in now to sort of what I think that fourth quarter might have meant for some various guys who were very part and parcel to the very fun comeback and whether it's going to sort of alter their standing within the team. Coming up a little later, we're going to talk about the offense in the first half of the game in particular, where the starters did not look particularly good. We will get to that, and uh, we've got the good, the bad, and the hum at the very end of the show to round it all out. But let's start with the play of a couple guys in Josh Jackson and Gabe Brown. I think this is kind of the like wild that these are the two standouts from a game, but they were really fun. Gabe Brown played 11 minutes. He was 2 of 4 at 5 points, had a couple of pull-up Js. You also got Josh Jackson in there, 5 of 8 from the field, 13 points, two boards and assist, plus 24 to lead the team. He was Kind of the guy who led that team for, I mean, through the fourth quarter. I think Kem Birch kind of took over in overtime, which is fun too. But I think Josh Jackson, with his performance in this game, has very much put himself in the conversation to make the team ahead of Justin Champagny, which as a Justin Champagny head myself, I've on this very podcast said that I think he has a shot to be a rotation player by December if he makes the team. I just kind of penciled him and assumed he was going to make the team. I don't feel so good about that anymore because of the pops that Josh Jackson was showing off last night against the Celtics. And frankly, what he's done in the first two preseason games, he looked pretty sharp in the first preseason game as well. Maybe a little bit less refined on offense in the first preseason game than he was last night, but the defense has been there. He looks like he knows the scheme. And the thing with Josh Jackson is, you know, I think there are arguments for both him or Justin Champagny, right? Like Champagny, we know hammers the offensive glass, can switch a few positions on defense, had those you know flourishes of three-point shooting last year at the 905, he figures to be a very nice low-leverage, low-usage, off-ball type role player. And frankly, maybe that's the argument to bring him on board. The Raptors have a lot of guys who want the ball in their hands. Having another guy in Josh Jackson, Josh Jackson, who can put the ball on the deck, is a pretty good guy with his handle, might look to sort of call his own number a little bit more often than, say, a Justin Champagny. You might get diminishing returns from that type of player on a team where there's just better versions of that type of player. And so I think the argument for Champagny is he can slot into any lineup, he can play with any collection of guys, assuming his three-point shot's falling, and he's just an easier fit on the team. That said, it's hard to argue, Josh Jackson clearly has a little bit more just sort of raw basketball talent than Justin Champagny. He was really soft with the touch on his drives last night, some really tough finishes, floaters, off-glass stuff, off-hand stuff, um, you know, through contact. It, It was pretty impressive to watch him go to work, and he looked polished. He looked like he had a plan when he was driving, and that's not something you can say about a lot of guys. He was, of course, a former fourth overall pick. He's had some moments in the NBA. He's put up some decent numbers on bad teams, which is not nothing. And I think if you're just sort of picking guys in a schoolyard to go and play basketball for you, you're taking Josh Jackson over Justin Champagny 10 times out of 10. The question comes down to the fit on the team. And and I do think there's an argument to be made that, you know, Champagny's fit is better, but Jackson might just be the more talented player. And when you're going for a 14th or 15th guy on the roster, maybe you just do go for the most talented guy because odds are not really going to play all that much anyway. Again, I think Champagny maybe has a little bit more upside in terms of how far he could climb the rotation this season because of the sort of intangible tie everything together type things that he does on the floor. But 
you know, Jackson's making a real push here, and I think I'd probably slot him a little bit ahead of Champagny right now. Just if I'm trying to predict what the front office and what the coaching staff is going to decide here, I would say Josh Jackson has kind of moved into the pole position for that last spot. And look, it might not just be one spot. There could be multiple spots here because Juancho Hernan Gomez has not been very good. You know, 13 minutes yesterday, 0 for 1, pretty ineffectual across the board. He was a plus 11 on the floor, but didn't really do a whole lot. And he hasn't really flashed anything all that special to me, right? When you're looking for guys in the preseason, you're kind of looking for, all right, what's the one skill that could sort of carry this guy and make him a valuable piece? Champagny's got the rebounding and the defense and the three-point shot in theory. Josh Jackson has the ability to put the ball on the deck and the defense has looked really on point. Juancho Hernan Gomez hasn't really shown a whole lot. You know, he's got a little bit of skill, obviously. He can maybe make something that would happen with the ball in his hands from time to time, but his number's never going to be called if he's on the team. And he hasn't done really anything to really pop and stand out against the backdrop of the rest of the team. And so I wonder... The Raptors have already waived Svima Mihailuk and taken the hit that his guaranteed contract came with. I wonder if maybe they'll do the same for Wancho here in the interest of getting better players on the team, you know, more effective, more Raptors-y type players on the team. And Josh Jackson would be a benefactor of that, as would Gabe Brown. And Brown has looked pretty exciting in his first couple games. Again, he's, uh, you know, it's tough to sort of, you know, have strong opinions on a guy who I've watched play basketball two times, but he's popped a little bit. He's had some moments where it's like, oh, he's got that in his bag, like a pull-up mid-range jumper and stuff like that. You know, that the Gabe Brown thing, I think, is a little less likely to end up with him making the team just because he's on an Exhibit 10 contract. The Raptors can still kind of keep him at least adjacent to their system if they just send him down to the 905 with the Exhibit 10. You get a bonus to stick with that club's 905 or G League team. And so I would imagine we'll probably see Gabe Brown go to the 905. But the problem is, is if he's just on that Exhibit 10, he goes down to the 905, he can be signed by anybody at any time. And so you're at risk of losing him. You know, I'm sure you could convert him to a two-way. Our pal Blake Murphy noted last night, maybe there's a situation where you do put Gabe Brown on a two-way and you take Ron Harper Jr. off of it. It would suck for Ron Harper Jr., obviously, but we haven't really seen much Ron Harper Jr. so far in the preseason. Um, you know, I think he's been hurt a little bit or he's just, he's just not playing. He's not part of the plans. And Gabe Brown clearly is showing at least some intriguing stuff that might make it worth keeping him around and if the way to keep him around is to you know move Ron Harper Jr. off one of those two-way slots and get Gabe Brown in there maybe that's worth doing I I don't know but either way I think Jackson and Brown made a really good case for their inclusion on this team one way or another and what I thought was a pretty chill relaxed preseason camp battle for the last few spots is a little bit more interesting now, which is a fun thing to keep your eye on as the preseason goes forward here. Again, this is we're talking about the, the last couple spots on a team that already has a 9 or 10 or 11 man rotation that you can kind of map out. These guys are not going to play very much, but it's still exciting stuff in the preseason. And it's always cool to see guys who are trying to make the NBA or stay in the NBA kind of pop in preseason. And, you know, it's, it's pretty sweet. So, yeah, I, I would say Jackson for me is the most likely of these guys now to make the team. I still think Champagny stands a pretty good chance, but Wancho I'd be worried about if I'm Wancho <laughs> or his people. And if I'm Ron Harper Jr., you know, to the point that Blake Murphy made about converting Gabe Brown to a two-way, I'd be a little bit nervous there as well. There are ways to keep these guys in the system if you want to keep them in the system, um, but it might come at the expense of some other guys. Uh, a couple other notes on the guys who played in the fourth quarter of this game. The most meaningful fourth quarter ever played in the history of preseason basketball, I say. Uh, I thought Christian Coloco was really intriguing. He might be in the mix sooner rather than later. 
Although, I still think, as I talked about on yesterday's show, I still think it's best to give him a ton of run in the G League. Play hit the long game here with Christian Coloco. Yes, he was the defending defensive player of the year in the Pac-12. Yes, he's got a lot of really intriguing skills, but also... This is not a team where he's going to have easy minutes. And especially, if a guy we're going to talk about in just a second, Kem Birch, is going to look like he has, it feels pretty difficult to me to map out regular, consistent, reliable minutes for Christian Coloco. There's only so many minutes to go around on a team, and the Raptors have nine guys who are going to eat up most of those minutes already. I don't see a way in which Coloco gets enough run in the NBA to make it worth keeping around in the NBA all season long. The 905 is going to be a place where he can build his craft, work in a pick-and-roll combination with Jeff Doughton and, um, you know, just kind of get the reps and the understanding of the way the Raptors play. Of course, the 905 resembles a lot of what the Raptors do in terms of their systems and schemes. And so I, I still think Coloco should go to the G League for most of the first part of the season at the very least just to kind of get that work in. But he is looking pretty promising, man. Like, he's got some nice touch around the basket, which I did not expect. I kind of thought his hands were the thing coming out college that were sort of a little dubious and he had you know nice floater game lefty righty finishes really cool and it's also just like really nice to watch a tall guy play for the Raptors it's just it it changes the court's dimensions it changes how the sort of the 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 floor looks and it's nice to have a tall guy out there once again but I I still think despite the really promising signs and there were some really promising signs from Coloco last night three or four from the field uh I think he hit a jumper he had three boards uh two assists as well at the six points in a block like I, I think there's going to be a pathway here for Coloco at some point whether it's via injury or poor performance from someone ahead of him but I still think it's a tough road to find him regular minutes right now and in the interest of the long game give him the development time in the G League I don't know how many times we have to see the G League work out for the Raptors to think oh like maybe guys should just go play in the G League and figure their stuff out um, but I think that's going to be the case here for Coloco and I don't think that's a bad thing at all and it's nice to know that if Kembridge gets hurt the center situation becomes dire Christian Coloco can be a bit of insurance there. Speaking of the center situation and Kem Birch, I thought he was awesome. As I said, he kind of took over the fourth quarter, hit a couple of threes. That was really cool to see. He was 4-4 on the night from the floor, 2-2 from outside, two, four boards, two assists, 10 points, plus 18. Uh, he was really fun. It's nice to see Kem Birch looking spry and alive again after being just a shell of himself last season. And that 10th man battle is really interesting to me. You know, again, I think it's a nine man rotation that's going to get used here. And if anything, I could see the rotation getting shortened as opposed to lengthened. <laughs> it's just because the way Nick Nurse rolls, you know, I could see maybe a Thad Young, you know, some nights getting a DNPCD just because the spacing's off or whatever it might be once Otto Porter Jr.'s back, of course. But I, I think Kem Birch, you know, right in that conversation to be the 10th man, the first sort of traditional center off the bench if they find that they need one or you know, in a certain matchup that he need a spot starter with Ken Birch kind of going in there just to be a couple of fouls to absorb against a Joel Embiid or a Nikola Jokic, whoever it might be. Um, you know, I think Ken Birch, the way he's played these first couple preseason games, and it's not even so much the way he's played, but just the way he's looked and the way he's moved. I do think I, I'm feeling pretty good about him as like the 10th man, but you've got Delano Banton coming in here as well. 
And Banton more or less kickstarted the fourth quarter comeback against the Celtics. He was four of eight from the field. He had the eight points, three boards. Um, you know, the half court playmaking is still a little suspect. The finishing around the rim, you know, the floater is a little bit flat at times. The jumper is a little flat. But once he gets downhill, once he can slither his way to the bucket, I mean, good luck stopping him. He's just really, really fast. He's got great downhill momentum and he's a ton of fun. And he pushes in transition like a madman, which is what the Raptors typically want to do. So I could see him getting into Nick Nurse's good graces pretty quickly here. I think there will be minutes and times where he needs to get in. And again, injuries are going to happen at some point. So all of these guys will get their shot to carve out a bigger role. But from the start of the season, you know, that 10th man role, the sort of who gets spot minutes in the case of foul trouble or injury or whatever it might be, Ken Birch, Delano Banton, both very much putting their name in the hat for that. And it's probably going to be matchup dependent, right? If it's more of a matchup where you need a traditional big, then it'll be Ken Birch. If the Raptors are struggling with their half-court creation or need to get on the run a little bit more, Banton will be the guy. But nice to know that those two guys are both playing really well. It gives the Raptors just a nice backstop and cushion if there are going to be injuries, if Porter's going to miss some time. Uh, so can't really complain. And then the last guy who did a lot of stuff in that early part of the game was Jeff Doughton. He was super fun. Like, amazing guy to have as insurance in the case uh, you get injuries or whatever it might be to uh, Fred Van Vliet or Gary Trent Jr. He looked really, really excellent and had some clutch buckets as well. Nice to have that guy in the system on a two-way and know that he's going to be around just in case you need to break the glass and bring up another guard. Uh, with that, I've gone way too long on this opening segment, so we're going to wrap it there, come back on the other side, and we're going to dig into the Raptors' offense and where things looked a little bit dubious and why Otto Porter seems to be so bloody important to this team, and maybe that's troublesome. We'll get to that in just one sec. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at betonline.net, who are your number one source for football betting info this season. You can find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, injury reports, podcasts, in-depth articles, and analysis on every single game each and every weekend. So you're not just throwing money down indiscriminately. You are becoming the informed wagerer and making your buck that way. It's also got everything you need for MLB. The playoffs are on tap. If you want to put some money down on the Jays, for example, now is the time. Bet online will give you those odds. Go check it out. And also, you got single events like MMA, boxing, and golf. You can do futures bets on the NBA, NHL as those seasons get set to start up. It's all there at your fingertips with Bet Online as they help to make you the informed wagerer. What I like to do is throw a little money down when I go to a game. I'll be at the Jays game on Saturday, game two against the Mariners. And when I'm in attendance, I like to bet and just to sort of enhance the in person live experience. And Bet Online is a great way for me to do that. As well, go to betonline.net right now or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline is where the game starts. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, we continue on here. I won't go so long in this segment after going way over long in the first segment. I just got carried away by the most important fourth quarter to ever happen in a preseason game. I'm sorry. Uh, but let's get to it. The sort of... The thing I'm a little concerned about, I would say, is the half-court offense when it comes to the starters. And look, it's the preseason. They're still kind of getting their feet wet. 
There's plenty of time for them to sort this out, but it was not a terribly inspiring performance by the starters in the first three quarters of this game. Starters played pretty heavy minutes overall. You get 23 minutes from Siakam, 24 from Barnes and OG, 25 from Trent, 19 from Fred. Um, You know, I thought Pascal looked pretty sharp. He was 5 of 11 from the field, but he was getting to his spots. The couple buckets he scored, the one he scored over Marcus Smart was really, you know, I think an example of what a difficult handle he is to, to stop. I mean, you look back, think of Marcus Smart guarding Pascal Siakam in the bubble in 2020 and how horribly that went for Pascal so many times. Not so much the case in, uh, you know, the, the, the last couple of seasons in particular, but last night, the sort of scoring over Marcus Smart in the post with ease in the preseason. It gives you a lot of warm fuzzies, I think, considering where Pascal's come from in that department. Um, you know, I, I thought OG had some really nice pops. We'll talk about him, actually, in the in the next segment. And Scotty had his, his moments here and there, too. He had three assists. He was, you know, I, I think... You know, like like all these guys do enough things on a given night to feel really, really good. But at times, the sort of full picture of the offense gets a little dubious. And and so I'm just, I'm curious how they're going to massage this along. We've talked about the offense a couple of times now in the last couple of weeks here. And the very real red flags that exist with this offense. And look, I still think they're probably going to come in around like 13th or 14th overall because of the way their transition game elevates things but when you're looking for playoff success if your half court offense is in the bottom five of the league that's going to be a problem and I don't think it's going to be that bad but I do think you have to prepare yourself for some really really ugly stretches of offense like we saw last night against the Celtics like it's just it's going to be part of the fabric of this season and that's fine they're figuring it out they're 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 sort of still in the germination phase in a lot of ways with this team and it doesn't have to be a finished product right away but you have to steal yourself there are going to be some stretches some full quarters where the offense looks stinky because precious achua is bricking threes or you know chris boucher is also bricking threes or you know you have an off night from one of the reliable shooters that you have in an og or a fred or a trent like fred last night one of six from three trent last night one of five from three when those guys aren't going you know og o of one only taking one three is not what you want like if you're not having those three guys kind of carry the day with your threes, it's going to get tricky, man. And I think last night really illuminated how important Otto Porter is going to be in those sort of in-between lineups. He's going to play with groups of starters. He's going to play with groups of bench guys. But every time you throw Otto Porter into a lineup, that's instantly going to infuse some space into the lineup and it's going to make it work better. And, And like, it's just, it's undeniable. There's not enough space at times with this Raptors team. And they do a good job of trying to manufacture it and find ways to, you know, sort of trick you into looking like there's space. They, you know, they they do a lot of cutting and stuff like that, a lot of elbow work, and it sort of gets the defense on the move and creates little pockets sort of on the interior. It's a different kind of space, obviously, but there's no substitute for just having a guy with shooting gravity who can pull a defender out and create a driving lane and make it so a team has to think twice about sending a dig down or or sending extra help. It's just... The Raptors offense right now doesn't quite have that when they have their main guys on the floor. And, you know, it's going to be a work in progress here. I I do think Thad Young last night, he was 0-4, you know, had a couple of rebounds, assists, and steals. That's all nice. But I do think we saw that Thad Young, at times, 
might look like a bit of a sore thumb in some of these lineups, unless there's some more shooting to sort of offset him. Like last night, what was the lineup? I have it written down here somewhere. The lineup that he was playing in that was just like disgusting. Uh, it was Scotty, OG, Precious, Thad, and Boucher. Just like this is what started the second quarter. They looked really, really rough. I think they played at the end of the first quarter as well. And this is where Boston kind of pulled away in this one. Um, you know, just not a ton in terms of space, in terms of creation. You do get you get OG on the ball in those lineups, and there's not really a proven, tried and tested and true shooter in the bunch outside of Precious in theory. And Precious had himself a rough night, one of five from downtown. The team overall, a freaking seven to thirty-two from downtown. There are going to be nights like that. You have to prepare yourself for it. They'll survive some of those nights like they did last night because their their defense is so marauding and awful to play against if you're an opposing team. But, you know, and, and honestly, I didn't think that, like, um, you know, it, it's hard to say, man. Like, it's the preseason. I don't want to draw too many, like, massive conclusions here. But I think it's just a, a basic matter of spacing and geometry that they're going to they're gonna need Otto Porter big time to make these sort of in-between lineups work. I think there's going to be times where Otto Porter has to sub in for a starter to give some extra shooting in there, whether it's a Scotty, whether it's a Pascal. Like, they're, they're just going to they're gonna have to find ways to insert more shooting into these lineups and, again, hope that you get Precious kind of having the season he had at the end of the, end of the year last year and that Boucher bounces back. There's a lot riding on internal growth and sort of guys in-house figuring it out. And we saw last night what it can look like when it goes badly. And you just got to be prepped for it, man. It's not going to mean that the season's a failure if they have a bunch of quarters where they score five points. But it will, I think, you know, mostly translate into the postseason if they can't kind of get this half-court offense thing figured out. And they will. There's more time to work on it. There's plenty of preseason runway here. There's only two preseason games. I'm not, like, throwing up the, the panic button or anything like that. But it's just worth noting that, that there's there's some concern with how the half-court offense is going to work, and all of your concerns are valid and real, and, um, you know, to sort of shoo them away would be, I think, kind of, uh, you know, disingenuous. They're, they're not going to be the greatest offensive team in the world, and there are going to be a lot of nights where things look a little bit dubious. So just wanted to point that out here in the middle of the show. We're going to come back on the other side. We are going to dig into the good, the bad, and the from last night's game we'll dig into that in one sec but first just a reminder go check out locked on blue jays it is free and available wherever you get your podcasts and on youtube as ben showman and matt bonaparte are getting you prepared for the playoffs against the seattle mariners game one on friday game two saturday game three sunday it's all very stressful uh but ben and matt are guiding you through so go check out locked on blue jays for free wherever you get your pods no matter what moves you made last year TurboTax experts make them count Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. File with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. All right, we'll round up the show here with a quick round of good, bad, and 
hmm, this new segment that I've introduced where we'll dig into a good thing from a game, a bad thing from the game, and uh, a thing that's got me a little bit intrigued going forward. We'll start with the good, and this is sort of, this is going to be a nice, fluffy, nice segment, I think. The good today is going to be, oh, whoops, I'm hitting the wrong buttons here uh, <laughs> on the screen. Please forgive me. But the good today is going to be uh, the beautiful broadcast team of Matt Devlin and Jack Armstrong. Uh, they're just the best. They're, they're, they're so fun. They made that preseason game last night more enjoyable than it had any right to be. The fact that Jack was like clearly, obviously just couldn't wait for the game to end before overtime kicked in. The fact that Matt was like seemingly delighted by the fact that there was overtime and that Jack Armstrong had to work later. That was awesome. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, people have their misgivings about the Raptors broadcast sometimes, but I think Matt and Jack are about as good as it gets, and it was a nice reminder last night. It was a great way to be reacquainted to one of the most fun and delightful uh, broadcast teams there is. You know, do they get homery sometimes? Sure. Do they get too caught up in officials sometimes? Maybe, but they make watching Raptors games fun, which is kind of what I think a broadcast team should be trying to do. They don't take themselves too seriously. I don't like, I think there's nothing worse than a broadcast team that takes itself too seriously. So so my good for last night is for sure Jack and Matt. It was just uh, lovely to see the, uh, the 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 return of those guys. They're they're the best. All right, the bad overtime. Overtime sucks. Uh, look, it's great that the Raptors won this game preseason. Cool, like you know, it was super fun. Uh, had a fun time watching it when it happened. But overall. I feel like this would be such a great opportunity to experiment with how you do overtime, just considering the the, the lack of stakes in these games. You know, th this feels to me, why are we not doing the Elam ending in overtime? If you're not familiar with the Elam ending, I'll explain it real quick. It's what they use in the Canadian Elite Basketball League, the league that I call games for. It's also what they use in the basketball tournament, uh, concocted by this guy, Dr. Nick Elam, who uh, has decided that the end of basketball games is kind of ass because of all the free throws, because of all the stoppages, because of all the coach intervention, all of that. It makes watching the end of basketball games bad. And honestly, if you have any sort of normie people in your life who aren't crazy basketball fans, what's their number one complaint about basketball? Takes too long to end games. Maybe there's, they're onto something there. I think they are. Um, with overtime... I know I've made this point on the show before or other shows I've been on in the past, but like overtime in basketball is like the most anticlimactic thing in the entire world. You have this great buildup to probably to a really nice, fun finish to the end of regulation. And then more often than not, overtime's a dud that kind of soaks all of the energy and excitement out of a game. Sometimes you get great ones. You know, the odd time you get a four overtime classic and it's awesome, but that's so rare that I don't really think it's worth keeping the regular overtime structure around. And so why are we not experimenting in the preseason with something like the Elam ending where you set a target score? You know, in the, the way it works in the CEBL is that you get to the four-minute mark of the fourth quarter, they shut off the clocks, you add nine points to whoever's in the lead, and the, you race to whatever that score is for both teams, so either team can still win. When it comes to the overtime Elam ending idea, both teams are tied, just add 10 points to the score, just play to 10. I don't know why you don't do that. You get a last bucket wins every single time. Nothing beats a last bucket win situation. You get, like, everything is essentially a buzzer beater without the buzzer going off, and... I just feel like the preseason would be such a great testing ground for it. The NBA is trying new stuff. The, the midseason tournament's going to come in. That's very exciting. I can't wait for that. But, like, why are we not trying the Elam ending in the preseason? Just to show how rad it would be. It, it just, I don't know. It, playoff overtime, or basketball overtime, I should say. 
is like maybe the worst thing about the sport and the Elam ending would instantly fix it and make it one of the best things. So I wish they were trying it out here in the preseason. I really do. It's uh, it, it's it's a little disappointing that they have not gotten a little enterprising and creative with how they're going to, um, you know, finish games. And the, the preseason will be the greatest I think testing ground for it, other than the G League, which they should be have already been doing the Elam ending for overtime in years ago. Uh, we'll go now to my hmm, which is OG Ananobi is stronger than he ever was before somehow. He was already like the strongest man in the NBA. And the stuff that he was doing last night to Jason Tatum, to Marcus Smart, just bowling these dudes over with his shoulders, with his chest, with just like a basic forward move of his momentum. I'm pretty intrigued by OG Ananobi and how you can weaponize his strength. Like his handle is still a little bit wonky. It's never going to be a strength of his, I would say. But... There's got to be a way to use his just bruising mass as a tool to gain advantages offensively. And maybe it's just you continue what we saw last year where he was a pretty heavy post-up option for the Raptors. He was in the post quite regularly and had some pretty good success, at least in setting other guys up out of it. Maybe it's you just like run some certain sets for him that can get him going downhill uh, you know, from, you know, you set a high screen for him and just let him sort of charge into the middle of the paint and run some dudes over. Like, there's got to be a way to weaponize it. Either way, it's one of the most fun things to watch is OG Ananobi just proving how much stronger he is than everybody else in the NBA. Like, Jason Tatum is an all-defense level player. Couldn't do a damn thing about OG last night on a couple of his drives. Marcus Smart, literally a defensive player of the year. Not a chance. He's just getting knocked over by OG. I don't even know if OG realizes his own strength at times, but I am really curious to see how they can try to weaponize that going forward because it does feel like a pretty obvious like standout skill and advantage that OG has over everybody else in the NBA outside of maybe like a few seven-foot hulking centers. And if you can make that work, if you can sort of use OG as a weapon with his strength as a post guy, as an ISO guy, whatever it might be, that might be a pathway to some buckets, and it might be a pathway to OG, you know, raising up his offensive levels a little bit and, you know, finding different ways to, to attack and, and use that strength. You know, either way, he's going to use it on defense. He's going to be a monster defensively for that reason. He is stronger than everybody else. He can stay in front of anybody. He's not going to get knocked over. It, it's uh, It was just... I, it was stunning to see. It's like going to a like a strongman competition and seeing the strongmen all lift like the Atlas balls or whatever, and then one guy just comes in and lifts it with one hand. That was kind of like the the degree of separation between OG strength and everyone else's strength on display last night. And I thought that was uh, at least a thing to look at look at and say hmm over because uh yeah and a stronger version of og ananobi is a better version of og ananobi and seeing how he sort of figures it out and gets used to his own strength and uses his special powers for good we'll see but uh i thought that was worth noting that he looked just unbelievably strong last night and it was startling We'll round it out there. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Appreciate you uh, coming along, of course, as we do each and every day here on the pod. We'll be back again tomorrow. We'll tee up the weekend, uh, talk about any news or notes from practice or anything like that that come out today. 
Uh, and we'll probably get a guest of some kind, so stay tuned for that. Either way, you can support the show by following, subscribing, rating, and reviewing on all your favorite podcast apps. And on YouTube, you can also go and check out Post Touches, my forthcoming newsletter. The first post will be up tomorrow, and you can uh, get that right to your inbox just by going to my pinned tweet on Twitter and subscribing to Post Touches, the Substack, where I'll be doing my little Raptors thoughts every Friday. So thank you in advance for supporting that. Uh, go listen to Locked On Blue Jays. The playoffs are starting tomorrow. It's very exciting. So go do that and support the Locked On Network. We'll talk to you again on Friday with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Bye-bye. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.